All right. Let's go ahead and grab a chair. We'll get started here. So, good, good. Well, I feel like uh, it's been a while since I've been here, so I probably ought to reintroduce myself. Uh, good morning. Uh, my name is Rich. I'm one of the pastors around this joint, I hear. Uh, good to be here with you guys. I do agree with Jeff's sentiments there about the Broncos there. That was a sad, sad thing. So I'm glad you guys are all here at church this morning to cope with the loss. But uh, I did notice you guys have heard the different arguments on why um, why we know God loves the Broncos, right? Uh, you know, if God didn't love the Broncos, sunsets wouldn't be like purple and orange, right? Um, this morning, sunrise was purple and orange. And so uh, God loves the Broncos still. Um, but anyways, uh, boy. I thought before we jump into this series here on Mark, I'd just give you a little snapshot of life for the Thatcher, the traveling Thatcher family here, um, just over the last uh, hmm, roughly 27 days. Um, not that anyone is counting, but uh, the, the journey uh, began on, I think it was December 13th. We headed out from Denver, drove to Omaha, uh, headed out to a wedding out in Manhattan, but we stopped in Omaha along the way. We got to the in-laws out there, there's Roaring Cats. You guys want to say hi? Hi. Hey, there, there you go. There, they're my claim to fame right there. So we got Rory and Kath Whitney. Um, but uh, we stopped out, dropped the kids off, went to the wedding where my wife was the bridesmaid in the wedding in Manhattan. You know, it took us uh, it was roughly eight hours to Omaha. It took us five hours to get to Manhattan. I think it's supposed to take like two and a half. But um, then after the wedding, we drove back here to Denver, roughly eight hours, I-70. Um, I do have to say I-80 is more scenic than I-70, if that's possible. But it's true. Um, but it doesn't say much. Um, so we came back to Denver, and then we um, sold our house. We closed, signed, you know, a bazillion papers to sell our house. Um, we did things like uh, pack up our house. We got a lot of your help. We moved out of the house. Then uh, we went back to Omaha for Christmas. Um, and then after Christmas there, day after Christmas, we packed up, headed back here to Denver, uh, where we stayed at the Albers house. And the next day, closed on the purchase of our other house. And after we closed on the purchase of our house, we went out to Grand Junction for Faith Walkers, which was an awesome time. Anyone like Faith Walkers this year? It was a great, great time out there. I think the teachings are online um, if you want to catch those. But went to Faith Walkers for a few days. After Faith Walkers, we knew our house was getting worked on. They said we couldn't live in it for a, a while until they finished some of that. So we, we ended up continuing west from Grand Junction. And we went to um, uh, St. George, Utah the next day. Anyone been to St. George before? You know, that's good. All right. It's semi-memorable. I don't know. It's got an interesting... Uh, the highlight, I think, was in the middle of St. George is this gigantic white Mormon temple set in this red foothills there. And, you know, at nighttime it shines. And, you know, it was, it was nice. It was New Year's Eve in St. George. And, you know, the Mormons treated us really well as far as the New Year's Eve parties and stuff. We had a great night's sleep. It was awesome. Um, um, Bob, next day we went from St. George. We were headed out to San Diego to see uh, to my brother's family there. And we just kind of didn't put it all together in our brain that uh, the day after New Year's Eve, passing through Las Vegas, Nevada, on your way back towards L.A. And, you know, that was just rough traffic, really bad traffic. Uh, there were three lanes of traffic, sometimes at a standstill out in Nevada somewhere. You know, it was just uh, really strange. 
Went out to Vista, California, um, stayed there a couple days where we just rested and relaxed and um, I dealt with strep throat, which I found out I had while I was there. Went to the urgent care and so that was not fun. Um, went from Vista back to Salt Lake City, Utah, where we stayed with Josh and Krista with me for a couple days. And the day we were driving out to Salt Lake City, they texted us or the day before and they said, you know, um, our whole family's sick with colds and coughs and are you sure you want to come? And we just texted back, you know, LOL. Uh, so is our family. Let's, you know, make an infirmary of it here. So uh, we had a good time with them. And then eventually went from Salt Lake City back, landed back in Denver on, uh, I want to say it was January 9th. So a uh, few statistics for this journey, the Thatcher journey. 27 days of travel. We've been living out of suitcases basically for 27 days. So that's been real interesting. Um, uh, we see 27 days of travel. We covered 4,577 miles in our journey. Um, family, all seven of us in a minivan, all seats full, overhead bin for you know catching a little more wind. Um, we estimated it was 81 hours on the highway. So. 40-hour weeks on the highway. Um, nice. We covered uh, seven different states. We stayed in three different hotels. We stayed in five other people's homes, and we also stayed in one apartment where we currently reside. Uh, thank you, Paula, Amy, Bree, and uh, and those that are putting up Paula, Amy, and Bree at other places. Um, let's see what else do we have. We were bridesmaid in a wedding. Sold our house, packed, moved, and cleaned. We did Christmas. We closed on a new house. We finished remodeling details before we left town. We went to Faith Walkers. Um, let's see. We've got one bout of stomach flu with multiple different expressions. We had one bout of colds. Uh, seven different expressions of that. We had one one horrible migraine. One case of sore throats. Again, five different expressions of that. Three of which included strep throat um, and one ear infection. And and we are alive and well and we're back in Denver and you know what do they say sometimes don't don't judge someone until you walk a mile in their shoes so I just wanted to give you 4,577 miles to, to think about before you judge us here but no hopefully you won't, hopefully you won't do that either but anyways you know I do again my name is Rich Thatcher and uh, I am so glad to be back with you guys here at church I really am I, I'm going to try not to get emotional we were just really blessed along the way as we've been a little bit homeless here where we had so many offers uh, from people to stay with them and a number of you offered and uh, these girls apartment they basically moved out of their apartment so that we could move in they moved in with other people and we we're just blessed to have a church family where when there's needs people just rise to the occasion as a family and we're so blessed to be a part of that and so blessed to be back home here with you guys in Denver so anyways let's uh, pray um, and we'll, we'll talk about the gospel of Mark today so anyways a lot to be thankful for uh, Lord Jesus I do just want to thank you and give you praise and, and credit and the glory for just even watching over us for over 4,500 miles um, many hours and uh, God just many illnesses and you were faithful and gracious to us through it all God and I thank you for allowing me and my family to be back here with our family our church family Lord and we're just blessed to be brothers and sisters in Christ and um, God I just pray you'd meet us here this morning and as we set the table for the gospel of Mark God I just pray you would um, soften our hearts allow us to hear your voice allow us to hear something 
that would impact us, that would change us, that would even mark us as we study this gospel. Um, God, we, we turn ourselves over to you and to your Holy Spirit to bring this about. We just pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. The Gospel of Mark. So, um... What we're going to do, this series is going to be roughly the next 16 weeks. Today is just an intro to the series. Um, and we're going to take Mark 16 chapters, one, one chapter at a time, and cover as much of the highlights as we can in each chapter. Some of them are, are longer than others. Um, but today is really just to kind of set the table a little bit about the Gospel of Mark. And Kent, I'm not finding a clicker, so I'll give you the clicking signal here whenever. Uh, but if you want to go to the first slide here, I think it's the introduction. Okay. So some things, I'm going to give you some tidbits about the Gospel of Mark. These are things that you can use in, uh, you know, I don't know if you're out at, at parties, you want to bring up some cool Bible facts. These are some you could use here. Uh, Mark is the most widely translated Gospel uh, in the Bible. You know, uh, sometimes we might think, you know, you're supposed to read the Gospel of John. The Gospel of Mark, when someone goes to a new country, is likely the one they'll translate for several reasons. Um, one is that it's... Um, it's the shortest. Only 16 chapters. A really good reason to translate it. Another reason is that it seems like it was originally the audience that it was written for was the Romans. And so when it was written, it doesn't require a ton of Jewish background, of Jewish tradition, of Jewish prophecy. You'll find very little of that in the Gospel of Mark. And so uh, when they're translating it in other cultures, it's nice that you don't have to have the Old Testament to set the stage. You know? So um, it's uh, arguably the earliest Gospel that was recorded anywhere, some would say, some scholars from 50 A.D. to 60 A.D. Um, again, keep that in mind for Bible trivia. Uh, what else do we have? It is, um, um, most scholars believe it's likely Peter's accounts, Peter's interactions with Jesus and his following, and, and Mark helped him record that. Um, and there are certain reasons they think of that. There's a few other. Uh, each gospel tends to have a, a flavor or a kind of a, a you know a facet that they draw out about Jesus. Um, and Mark has a specific one here. If you have your house Bible or any Bible with you, you can look with me real quickly to um, uh, a great verse in Revelation chapter four here. Um, just some interesting things to chew on, but. Um, in Revelation chapter 4 here, there's this describing a scene in heaven. And at, at one point they're describing kind of the throne area of God. And it talks about these different creatures. These are called the four living creatures that were in the throne room. And it says they were covered with eyes in front and in back. And in verse 7 of chapter 4, it says the first creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had the face like a man, and the fourth was like a flying eagle. And it goes on to describe those creatures. You know, there's also a similar description as Ezekiel's looking and having a vision in heaven. Describes these same four creatures. And, and tradition, some of the early church fathers would... Um, and as you look at some of the Gospels, you'll see that each one of these creatures seems to represent uh, one of the Gospels of, about Jesus. You know, and the first one says it's like a lion. Let me see what we have here. There we go, lion. Matthew is um, ultimately about Jesus as the king and his coming kingdom and as the, as the Messiah. But really it focuses on the attention of the king. The lion is the king of the jungle or something like that, king of animals. Um, and you'll see that flavor throughout Matthew. Uh, Luke talks about um, 
it's, it's about Jesus as a man. You know, if you look at one of the interesting things, if you look at each of the Gospels, they have a genealogy, usually at the beginning, tracing back Jesus to some, some uh, you know, uh, some, some train, chain of descendants there. And Matthew, it tra- traces Jesus' lineage back to who? David. David the king. And he was the king of, who was to come from David's lineage. Luke traces Jesus back to who? Adam. Adam. Jesus was fully man. And his lineage goes back to even the first man, Adam. John has a, a simple lineage. It's kind of a profound lineage. John, the focus is it's, it's represented by an eagle, which represents God or divinity. John, the lineage, lineage it has for Jesus is, some of you might know it, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was with God in the beginning. And His lineage is, ties back into being one with God. Um, Mark... If you look at Mark chapter 1, um, what is the lineage that Mark includes? None. It has no lineage because we're looking at Jesus, the servant of, of God. And when it comes to being a servant or being a slave, who cares about the lineage? It's about serving, you know. And that's, that's really uh, the flavor. We're going to look at Jesus, the servant of God, the perfect and the powerful servant of God. And there's certain facets. Um, we have another point there. Uh, that, you know, Mark, Mark is kind of a fast pace and it looks at some of Jesus' deeds, not his teachings. You know, teachings you think about maybe uh, the Gospel of Matthew has the Beatitudes or Luke has a lot of his teachings recorded and even uh, John. But uh, Mark is not as much about his teachings as much as his, his life, his deeds. And a servant, well, what do you look at to evaluate a servant but his deeds? And Mark is full of um, the deeds of Jesus there. And so we will see in the Gospel of Mark some things we can learn about it. If, if you had to pick one verse to kind of represent the, kind of the hallmark verse of the Gospel of Mark, it would be, most people would agree, it would be this verse here in Mark um, 10:42 through 45. We'll read that real quick. Um, if, if you want to, you can turn there in your house Bible or any Bibles as well. It's page, um, let me see, Mark 10. It's page 1003, if you have one of these Bibles here. Um, but this is kind of the, a verse that uh, maybe represents the picture of Jesus that you see in the Gospel of Mark. And it says, Jesus called them together. You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So this is Jesus the servant. He came to serve. He was a servant of God. He didn't just come to serve you know, mankind and go, hey, what's your needs? What do you want? Shazam, there you go. He was the servant, the perfect servant of God. Um, that serving, let's see what we have on the... You can skip to the next slide as well. There you go. Um, you know that ultimately Jesus' life of serving culminated in, in laying down His life on the cross as a ransom. For us, you know, and that's um, in some ways, you know, that's the essence of the gospel right there. Um, over Christmas, we had the, the pleasure with my kids of watching The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. I had not seen that in a while, but as an adult, I kind of liked the movie. I liked the books. Um, but my kids had never seen it before, so I thought, you know what, they, they can kind of be a little bit 
scared when they see creatures on movies that they don't recognize and stuff like that. But I thought, you know, let's do this. And we watched it. And it was just amazing to see just the, when they got to the point of the, the kid, the Edmund, is that the guy that got in trouble with the White Witch? So Edmund is, um, you know, for, for law to be carried out justly in that world, he was to, to be executed. And they made this arrangement where Aslan would take uh, the punishment that Edmund had earned. And we just were talking through with my kids. I just had goosebumps after goosebumps explaining to him, you know, Edmund is like you. And Jesus is like the lion. And he took your place and he died for you. And it was just this amazing thing to go through. But really, this verse can represent, you know, you and I had come under, um, you know, if you say we were being held hostage or ransomed by death and by sin. Sin has ownership of everyone who has sinned. Death has ownership and possession of anyone who has sinned. And all of us had come under that. Um, and yet Jesus said, hey, look, I'll take that punishment. I'll pay for, for them. You take me. Take my blood instead. And, and that really just encapsulates the gospel there. And so one part of you know, ransom is that we were, we were paid for. Jesus paid for you. If you would believe it, that he loved you so much, that he wanted you to have a relationship with him forever, he paid for you. And, and, and that's good news, right? That's the gospel there. But there's another facet of it that I think we can maybe uh, not pay as much attention to. If he paid for you and I, and he said, hey, this one's paid for, what, what's the other side of that coin? Uh, well, you might know the verse in 1 Corinthians 6. It says, um, you are not your own. You are bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Um, the good news is we've been paid for. The other side of that coin is if you've really been paid for, you've been bought. You have a new owner. You have new um, someone you have obligations to actually. Um, and yet, great, you know, salvation is a free gift. It, it was given to us without having to earn it. And yet, at the same time, that that gift uh, secured your purchase and your redemption. And and I think this kind of ties into being a servant here. You know, um, one of the questions I just want to ask you as we look just briefly as an overview of Jesus here, how are you doing currently? How are you doing right now at being a servant of God? Um, you know, are you, do you think of that often? Is that your paradigm for life? Uh, or are you kind of like, I'm a child of God and I serve in my free time? Um, you know, I think of the book, uh, True Discipleship, William McDonald says, you know, Jesus is not looking for people who will give him their evenings and free weekends. You know, he's looking for people who want to follow him as a way of life. How are you doing as a servant? You know, a few thoughts here to, to chew on. When I think about them, serving, being a servant, there's another phrase here, bond servant, we'll look at. But um, I think sometimes we can think about life, if you think about life as I serve, I serve on occasion, I serve on Sunday mornings, I serve here and there. You know, in some ways, serving is like a very churchy word, right? You know, how many of you show up in your office and your bosses, you know, how are you going to serve the company this week, you know? Um, now, you as a Christian, you might go, I'm serving them by, I'm bringing donuts, I'm picking up their garbage, or whatever it is. You might be serving them, but no one else really thinks of that terminology, right? I mean, that, those type of tasks are usually for someone lower on the, you know, the corporate totem pole and stuff like that. But, um, but sometimes we can have this paradigm, I serve, and we can measure it. I serve here, I serve on Sunday mornings, I stay here, I'm on the cleanup team, I'm on the setup team, or I serve Wednesday night because people meet in my home so I must, I'm serving people and when you have the serving mentality you know, how much do I serve you just kind of try to measure it can I serve more can I serve less do I serve more than that person I do serve more than that person I should judge them whatever you know we, you can have that mindset but, but if you're a servant 
Uh, I think you kind of start to lose the measuring side of it. Like a servant, when is a servant supposed to serve? Well, any opportunity that servant is given by their master, right? And so uh, I think there's, I don't know what your paradigm is, but if you think, boy, I sure serve a lot. And if you look at a slice of pie of my life, serving is just way out of proportion. I need to stop that. Um, But if you think of it on the other hand, I've been bought, I've been purchased. I am not my own. Um, I'm a servant and I serve when I'm given opportunities. And you lose the measurements and you lose the... But I, I want to encourage you, to, what's your paradigm? You know, and then the other category of servant here is a bond servant. A bond servant, in this passage here, you know, one word it uses servant. Um, you must be your servant. Another place it says you want to be first, you must be slave of all. And that word in other translations is often translated bond, bond servant or bond slave. And um, how many of you know what a bond servant, bond slave is? Some of you probably do. And um, it's not something that's probably common terminology for us. You know, we just hired a bond servant last week or something like that. Um, um, but, but the idea actually comes from some uh, Old Testament things. It's a New Testament way of thinking, hey, I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. Um, but it really comes from an Old Testament. I, I think there's a few Old Testament pictures to think about. One comes from... A, Exodus here, chapter 21. And it talks about um, if, uh, you know, someone sells themselves to be a servant, you know, to earn money, and it's like you're an employee in some ways. Um, It says he shall serve for six years, but on the seventh he shall go, this is Exodus 21, on the seventh he shall go out as a free man without payment, and if he comes alone, he shall go out alone. But if he's the husband of a wife, then his wife shall go out with him. If uh, his master gives him a wife and she bears sons or daughters, the wife and her children shall belong to the master, but he shall go out alone. But then it goes on to say, But if the slave plainly says, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go out as a free man. Then the master shall bring him to God. And then, uh, then he shall bring him to the door or a doorpost. And the master shall pierce his ear with an awl. And he shall serve him permanently. So it's this idea that someone's been released from slavery, from what they owe. They've been given their freedom and they say, you know what? It is good with my master. It goes well for me here. I willingly offer myself back to my master. You know, it states that again in Deuteronomy 15, verses 16 and 17. And, and it says in similar words, but there's a couple um, phrases here. Where's some girls? Paula, Amy, some of you that were staying there. I borrowed your Bible. I hope that's okay. It's a good, Amy. It's a good uh, NAS translation with, uh, you know, got some footnotes here as well. Sorry about that. I hope I'll return it. Uh, I'll hand it off to you before I leave so I don't lose it. Um, but anyway, Deuteronomy 15, you know, verses 16 and 17. But it says the same thing. You know, it says, You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. Therefore, I command you this today. It shall come about. If he says to you, this, this one you're trying to release, if he says to you, I will not go out from you, because he loves you and your household, and since he fares well with you, then you shall take an awl and pierce it through his ear into the door, and he shall be your servant forever. Also, you shall do likewise to your maidservant. But there's this idea, which I'm just blown away by. You think they were talking about Jewish people being someone's slave forever? Like you get to heaven and say, hey, there's my master again? No, I think that's a, a picture, a foreshadowing of what we're talking about here in the New Testament. That you willingly offer your life to your master. He bought you. He's he paid for you. But the question is, have you given yourself willingly back to him? The gospel we preach of grace is it's a free gift. You don't have to do anything but believe. But, but you look at the New Testament and you see people, the way they respond to that gift is, 
here I, I volunteer everything. You know, uh, Paul writes, in, in view of this mercy, you know, I urge you, brothers, to offer yourselves the living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. But, um, but anyways, I think that's something for us to think about. God has, if you really believe, He's paid for you, you're, you're headed to heaven, you've been bought. I think the real question becomes, are you, are you serving? Are you tracking how much you serve or don't serve? Are you a servant? You know, in some ways, a servant is like an employee. And an employee serves, you know, you've you got times when you serve, you've got ways that you serve, you've got rights, you know, you can start up a union and make sure you, you have all the rights that you want as a servant and the right wages. But a bond servant, you know, I think it's, it's what we're talking about here. It's, you say, hey, look, I give up all my rights, I give up my everything to my master because I love him. And he paid for me. And uh, all that I have, all my provision, all my property, it's not mine. It's, it's just my master's. You know? And do you have that attitude? Because you, know, you look at Jesus' life and it's clear that he did. And me, you know, I'm, I'm, just, I'm really challenged by that myself. Sometimes I can see myself as a servant. I go, okay, I'm trying not to track serving here and there, but I'm a servant. But as a servant, sometimes I can get a little bit like, hey, look, I'm a servant. And uh, you know, that's after hours. I don't have to do that. You know? um, or with my family, you know, we we added a fifth kid here and five children is there's a lot more opportunity to serve than I had previously thought there would be and um, but it's easy for me to go hey I'm a servant and I've had a long day at the office and I'm coming home and you know that's I don't have to do that um, and I realize I can probably have that a, a servant is like an employee you got rights you know you get your you got your social security you got your odds and ends that you expect um, but a bond servant leaves all that behind and says hey look I have the right to serve my master in any way at any time that would please him whether it's with my children with my spouse in my workplace whatever it is that's the heart of a bond servant and where are you at I just encourage you when it comes to being a servant of God where do you find yourself at currently? Because uh, I think this gospel is probably going to challenge us all as it's been challenging me. Um, so we're going to transition from that. That's just, uh, we're looking for. I'm looking forward to studying Jesus, the perfect servant of God, and see what uh, will convict me, what I need to change. I know it's going to be good. But before we, we do that here, we're just going to close with um, taking a look at, at Mark. Who was Mark? Anyone know who Mark was? Uh, you don't have to answer if you don't want to. Sometimes I throw out rhetorical questions, but then I also look for an answer at the same time. It's kind of a, all right, try not to do that. But anyways, here's um, Mark. Who was Mark? Well, many scholars believe Mark was this guy. In the Gospel of Mark itself, it doesn't say, hey, look, I, Mark, am writing this, and I'm talking to Peter, and, and here we go. Some of the Gospels give you a little more heads up about who they are when they wrote the Gospel. Mark doesn't. It doesn't mention him in there um, but there is potentially this little cameo that he mentions of himself here and, and many believe many scholars um, some of the ones that we would follow as, as churches like William McDonald I think uh, there's, there's some that would say you know I think Mark was talking about himself here there's a detail that he threw in that none of the other gospels threw in but it talks about when they went to get Jesus they came to take Jesus to be tried and crucified and it says a young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus when they seized him he fled naked leaving his garment behind you know why would you throw that in there and how would you even know that unless you were maybe him and you're talking about yourself you know um, a young man um, he was younger than the other disciples you know Mark was not um, he was not listed in Jesus' original followers you know that he's not one of the twelve um, but it's possible he was part of the greater crowd the bigger circle of people that were following him around some other verses on Mark we have here 
this one in Acts 12.12, 12, you know, it just says, um, uh, when this had dawned on him, he went also, this is talking about, I think, Peter, when he got out of prison, um, and he, he realized it wasn't a dream. He went also to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had been gathered and were praying. Later on in the same chapter 12, when Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, they returned from Jerusalem, taking with them John, also called Mark. There's this guy called John Mark. Um, another place here. Uh, here we go, Acts 15. At one point, it uh, says, uh, So Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him, because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued the work with them. You guys might remember that section in Acts there where uh, Paul and Barnabas were saying, Hey, let's go back visit these churches that we got started. Let's go encourage them. And Barnabas was like, Hey, let's take John Mark with us. And Paul was like, No, let's don't take John Mark. He, he deserted us on our last missionary journey. He took off. We don't know the details of why he deserted, why he went back. You know, um, we can speculate on that. But John Mark started off well. He was in the in the hunt, and somehow he took a. Maybe he backslid. Maybe he wanted to get back in the world. Maybe he had fears. Maybe he had selfish interests. We don't know. But John Mark took a sabbatical from following God, being useful to God's kingdom. But then what happens when his name shows up again here in uh, Timothy? 2 Timothy chapter 4. Make every effort to come to me soon, for Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has also gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Pick up Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for service. You know, um, John Mark went on a sabbatical somewhere on the way. He was doing his own thing, but eventually he got back in the business of being useful in God's kingdom. So much so that Paul said, hey, the guy that I don't want to take with me on this journey, have him come with you this time because he's, he's useful. He's useful again. He's ready to serve. And, and so he got back in the picture. And then um, somewhere along the way... Um, he, he was useful enough to be used by God to record the gospel of Mark, the gospel about Jesus Christ, you know. And so that is quite, that's Mark's, John Mark's little journey there. Um, but just, um, you know, a couple questions to think about here. One, one comes from this verse, that same verse, the same letter where he said, hey, by the way, bring John Mark with you this time. Um, a little before he says that, he, he says this about usefulness, usefulness to the Master. He says, In a large house there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for noble purposes and some for ignoble. If a man cleanses himself from the latter, he will be an instrument for noble purposes, made holy, useful to the Master, and prepared to do any good work. So that's the question I want to have for each one of us. How useful to the Master are you currently? How useful to the Master are you currently? Maybe not by your own definition, but as far as God says, hey, look, you want to be useful? You need to be cleansed of some of these things. You need to uh, cleanse yourself so that you can be holy and useful to the Master. Uh, Some other translations here maybe get us thinking about it at some different angles here. The Amplified Bible, uh, I think the next one here puts it like this. Um, In a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also utensils of wood and earthenware. Some are for honorable and noble use, and some for menial, ignoble use. So whoever cleanses himself from what is ignoble and unclean, who separates himself from contact with contaminating and corrupting influences, will then himself be a vessel, set apart and useful for honorable, noble purposes. Um, 
The next one here, Philip's translation, I like what it says. It says, uh, some are used for the highest purposes and some for the lowest. If a man keeps himself clean from the contaminations of evil, he will be a vessel used for honorable purposes, clean and serviceable for the use of the master, the household, all, uh, already in fact for any good purpose. So, I just want to again ask you, how useful are you to the Master right now? Now, I don't know about you, but when I think about God and God's kingdom, one of the things that I desperately want is to be used by God. I want to be used by God to share the gospel. I want to be used by God to have influence in this dark world. I want to be used by God to see supernatural things happen. Do you, do you want to be used by God? Or does that even enter your, your day-to-day thinking? My hope is that each one of you wants to be useful for God and maybe even more useful tomorrow than, than you feel today. And, um, but let's just talk about some things we need to be cleansed from. You know, um, let's see, what does this say here? Oh, yeah, I should read my sheet here. It's the same as right there. Uh, cleanse yourself to become more useful to God. Now, um, there's a couple of things to think about here. Cleanse yourself to become more useful to God. Um, we know certain things from the Bible. God uses weak vessels, doesn't He? God uses weak vessels. We see that throughout the Scriptures. He used Moses. He used Gideon. He used Peter. He used a number of different people who were weak in and of themselves. God uses broken vessels. You've heard that taught before. Would you agree with that? God uses weak vessels. God uses broken vessels. But you know what God will not use? God will not use an unclean vessel. God will not use an unclean vessel. Uh, sometimes when we think of weakness or brokenness, if somehow in your mind you think, yeah, that's, that sin is just my weakness, and God will use me in my weakness, that's not what the Scriptures are talking about. God uses people that know their flaws and their faults and their mistakes and different things like that, but God is looking to use clean vessels, holy vessels to do His work. And sometimes I think we can buy the lie that, you know what, I can be useful to God, I can do great things for God, and I can hold on to these areas of sin that have been in my life for a while. And I, I, I want us to have the Scriptures correct our thinking there. God does not use unclean vessels in, in lasting, worthwhile, supernatural ways. You know, A.W. Tozer says, well, sometimes it'll look like you have fruit, but it'll be fruit you know, like an apple with a worm in it at best. It looks like, hey, I'm bearing fruit, I'm doing good things. But on the inside, that fruit is not of value in God's sight, you know. And we just have to watch out for that. But here's a few things. In order to be cleansed, one of the things I'm challenged by is, Paul said, hey, look, cleanse yourself from this. Sometimes we go like, hey, look, God's the one. If God doesn't cleanse me from this, I'll never be cleansed. So God, I'm waiting for you to do it. But what does Paul say? Hey, man, if you clean yourself, you'll become more useful. It's not just, hey, sit around and wait for God. Oh, God, you just haven't taken this apathy away from me. I haven't got rid of the unbelief or the loss. I'm just kind of hanging out waiting for you because it's your deal. Now he says, hey, look, you want to be useful? You get rid of that lust. You get rid of that apathy. You get rid of that fear, that unbelief. You cleanse yourself. And if we want to be used by God, I think we're going to have to get some cleansing. And, you know, how do we cleanse ourselves? I think one of the first is we identify what we need cleaned from our lives. And in, in some ways, we take that and confess it to God. We bring it back to God. But we don't just sit around waiting for God to clean us. Oh, God, you know, I believe in predestination. You didn't, must not have predestined me to be useful. I guess I'm stuck. Um, no, he says, hey, look, you cleanse, cleanse yourself. You've got to be involved somehow here. Um, you know, maybe it's confessing your sin. I've heard of 1 John uh, 1, 1.9. It just talks about if you confess your sin to God, He's faithful and just to forgive you. I've heard that called the Christian bar of soap. 
You get confessing, God, I am struggling with this or with that. And uh, I thank you that Jesus died on the cross for that sin and, and helped me go on in righteousness here. Um, but we've got to be actively involved in that. And God does His part. He's the only one that can give us holiness and righteousness that we want. But yet at the same time, He says, you, you get involved with this cleansing process here. And so here's just a few lists. You see the list we can read through here. Uh, this is not comprehensive. These are just things that are throughout the Scriptures. Um, if you want to be a servant, it's hard to be a servant if you've got pride. You know, pride is going to prevent you from humbling yourself and washing someone else's feet, who you think you're better than, who you think you're better looking, more spiritual, whatever it is. You're not going to wash someone's feet if you've got pride. Uh, if you've got authority issues, really hard to serve people when you, you have authority issues. Oh, that makes me feel like you're looking down on me and I'm a servant and you're not a servant and you're probably not serving your master very well that way. Um, judging others. Again, you know, there's verses and says, Hey, look, each servant, you rise and you fall and you report to your master. So get out of the business of judging the servant next to you. You rise and fall before your master. Don't worry about the slaves around you. Um, lust, sexual sin, immorality, anger, anxiety, apathy. You know, maybe you go, I don't care to be that useful. You know, don't, don't confuse that with something that's clean and righteous and... Um, holy for the master there apathy is Jesus said it makes me want to puke you know is what he said in revelations there um, we've got self, uh, apathy selfishness worldliness fear oh, I'm just too afraid to obey in certain areas of my life disobedience independence it's hard to be independent and be a bond servant at the same time you know something's got to give there I love my independence my freedom and at the same time I I uh, discard all my freedoms to be a servant and a slave over here you can't do both you got to decide are you a servant or are you not and who are you going to serve um, what else do we have here independence stubbornness lying um, you know some of these sins I think the seven detestable sins lying is mentioned twice once as bearing false witness God hates that once as lying a lying tongue um, gossip slander divisiveness, grumbling, complaining. You know, if you're a servant who said, I willingly give my life to my master because I love him. Where does grumbling and complaining fit into that? Uh, nowhere. Um, discouragement, greed, drunkenness, lack of self-control, selfish ambition, laziness, unbelief. The list can go on and on and on. But I just want to encourage you, look over your life. Is there something that you need to be cleansed from? You know, hopefully we're not all like this... Uh, this vessel, some sort of dirty pot that's full of all of this stuff. I think each one of us probably has a few of these. We go, we need to scrub on that. There's a few, you know, residual things in this vessel. Um, but I encourage you to look over your life. Are there some things that are preventing you from being more useful? From being useful to the Master in any possible way He'd want to use you? Um, what else do we have here? Um, so that's just, think about that. Think about things you might need to be cleansed from. And then, and then start praying. Your part is confessing it, getting honest about it. Maybe even have a change of attitude about it. You're ready to, to turn your back on that area and ask God to help cleanse you with His blood and with His Holy Spirit to uh, transform you in that area. The second thing we have here, um, how useful are you? Get clean, cleanse yourself, get encouraged. You know, I do want to leave us with the thought that something happened in John Mark's life. He started following Jesus. He was a part of the, he was in the hunt. The Christianity spreading like crazy. And can you imagine being on the missionary journey with Barnabas and Paul as they're casting out demons, as they're healing people, and, and you're tagging along going, wow, this is awesome. And I'm a part of it. I'm, I'm in the hunt. And somewhere along the way, 
he fell away. He maybe he backslid. You know, I don't know what, what exactly happened there. Maybe it was like Demas, and and the world grabbed his heart, and he kind of took a sabbatical from being a servant of God. But you know, somewhere along the way, he got back on track. God helped him, gripped his heart, brought him back into where he was useful to Paul. He was useful enough to God to record an entire gospel account of Jesus Christ. Um, and I, I, I want us to be encouraged by that. Some think that uh, maybe Peter had a, you know, some sort of a t- taking a John Mark under his wing because Peter knew what failure was about. He knew what denying the Savior was like and he knew what the grace of God was like. And maybe he took John Mark under his wing and helped him understand some of God's grace so that he could get back on track and be useful to him. But... We just need to, you need to get encouraged. I, I don't know where you've been. Maybe, you, uh, maybe you've taken a sabbatical. Maybe you've kind of fallen away or you've been in apathy mode and just haven't cared for a while. But I want to let you know that God can make you useful. God can make you useful again if that's what's needed. Um, but we need to all have courage. And, and encouragement comes from the example of John Mark. Lastly here, um, I just want to encourage you guys to, to just pray. You know, we're going to do this series here. We're going to be team teaching it. Uh, I'll take the first couple of weeks, and we're going to have all the other pastors just kind of take chapters as we go. But <clears throat> I just want to encourage you guys, get clean um, or cleanse yourself, get encouraged, and get ready to be marked by the life and the character of Jesus Christ. I encourage you to pray that as we study this, that God would change your thinking that He would change your character, that He would change your life to be more like the one we're going to study, the one who's our Savior, the one who's with us now. Um, But pray that God uses this radically in the life of the Firehouse Church. Can you imagine if every person in this church just kind of came to the place where we go... uh, I'm a bond servant. I give my life to the Master. Master, what do you want me to do today? What do you want me to do for you at work? What do you want me to do for you at school today? What do you want me to do for you as it relates to these little ones running all around me? What do you want me to do for you today, Master? Can you imagine a whole church full of us? How would that impact our neighborhood, our, our classrooms, our workplaces, our city? I think it would be radical. And I... I ask each one of you to join me in praying that God would make us make us like that you know um, let's go ahead and close in prayer here <clears throat> Lord Jesus we do um, we do want to grow in, in becoming more like you God we want to grow in being able to be a servant of, of God, a servant of a slave even. The, the word bond servant often translated as slave. We want to willingly, voluntarily, out of love, offer ourselves to you as slaves, giving up our rights to anything in this world, to anything beyond what our Master gives us. Um, God, we just thank you that you did pay the price for us, that you did pay a ransom to redeem us, to buy us back. Um, God, we ask that in response to that, we wouldn't become spoiled children of God who sit around and just are thankful that we've been born again, but that we live a life of of slavery, of voluntary, loving slavery to you, our Savior. God, I just pray you'd help us have the attitude of, uh, I think many of the uh, the New Testament writers, they introduce themselves as slaves of Jesus Christ, that we would have that attitude, not, not just that by our, our speech, Lord, but that that would be the way we live as your slaves in, in any environment you put us in. Help us grow to be more like you, Lord Jesus. We pray this uh, in your name. Amen.
Amen. All right. Well, thank you guys for joining us this morning. It is, again, so good to be back with you, and we look forward to, to seeing you next Sunday or, or in small groups to take some of these uh, verses deeper in our lives here. So have a great day.